You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. And scores. So the focus is 100% on how we get it turned around. You know, the future is now. All right, so how do we get our players to, um, we got to do a better job as coaches to help them uh, be able to play, you know, better, more consistently in the game, put them in a position where they have the best chance to be successful. Uh, but I think all these things are fixable, very fixable. I believe in our players. I think we've got good players. Uh, I think, you know, Texas has a good team. And um, just like I said before, you know, it was a test. Uh, it was like, you know, an early test in the semester. Uh, we didn't grade out very well on the test. So, you know, what are we going to do to get a better grade? I think that's what we have to really learn and grow from and make a commitment to. And, you know, I think our players uh, with the kind of character and attitude that we've shown you know, so far as a team, I think they'll respond the right way. And I think the coaches will do the same. You know, South Florida is um, had a first-year coach, and, you know, they're um, moving the ball and scoring points. And, um, you know, it's not about necessarily always who we play. It's how we technically execute against the team that we play. So we have a chance to be successful. It's a road game. It's our first road game. Uh, they've got some good players. They've got a pretty good quarterback. Uh, they play hard on defense. So um, everyone's capable. Uh, but it's about you playing to your standard, us playing to our standard, and trying to play the kind of football that we need to play so that we have a chance to be more successful on a more consistent basis. Start over here. Hey, Coach, um, when you go back and look at the film, what did you see as the biggest issue with the pass rush, and how do you kind of get more of that going forward? Well, you know, I think we gave up one sack on a pressure. You know, most of it was we gave up a sack on a three-man rush. Um, you know, we gave up several sacks on four-man rushes. Uh, I think we're too soft setting in the, in the line. Uh, we got to be firmer in protection. Uh, pocket can't collapse, but... Uh, people have to get open. Quarterback has to process quickly and get the ball out of his hand. Uh, we can't hold the ball. Um, so it's a combination of all those things, I think, that um, was a problem. But it wasn't like there was some scheme that they were running that we didn't have it picked up. Uh, we just didn't get them blocked like we need to. What do you see as the identity of this offense? Um I don't know that in this past game we had much of identity. I think we started out early in the game being able to run the ball effectively. Um, and we did not mix up the play-action pass and the to complement the run game. And eventually, you know, it got harder and harder to run the ball. Um, we did make some explosive plays on offense. But uh, it's too, like, hit or miss. you got you got to have consistency to be able to sustain drives. And um, that's the one thing that, that, you know, we didn't do. We made explosive plays, but we weren't consistent enough in terms of developing identity, to use your term. Uh, but the identity that we'd like to have is to be physical enough to be able to run the ball consistently, effectively, uh, but also be able to have a good play-action game to go with it, be able to drop back when we need to, and be efficient and effective in all those areas. And... Uh, I can't say that we were in this game other than making some explosive plays. We, we didn't do that well enough. 
How would you evaluate the defense's ability to create pressure on the quarterback in the first two games? I think it was okay in the first game. Of course, you know, it wasn't the same level of competition. Um, and I think that obviously we didn't get any sacks in the game. Um, we didn't have um, a lot of success, the kind of success that we'd like to have on third down. Um, and I think that's something that we need to improve on, no doubt. Um, you know, they, we didn't do a great job of covering them. Sometimes you get coverage sacks. So we didn't cover them long enough that the quarterback couldn't get the ball out of his hand quickly. And we didn't affect the quarterback in the game at all. And we need to improve on that. This two-for-one game contract with South Florida is a really unusual thing. I think it's the only two-for-one Alabama's been involved in since you've been here. Do you have any thoughts on why that style of contract is so uncommon? Well, I, th I think the goal is to, when you're trying to play home-and-home -home games, the goal is to try to enhance the quality of opponents that you have. So, you know, you just can't go out and say, hey, let's play a game, and everybody agrees to it. You, you, you know, you got to negotiate your way through to see who you can play and who you can't play. And, um, you know, it's been our goal. Now, this was before conference realignment, so that may have some impact on it in the future, was we wanted, since we're not going to play in a neutral site game, can we get two quality opponents to be able to play in every season besides the SEC games? So we have 10 games that... Um, and look, it's not easy to find people that will play you. And sometimes you have to give and take a little bit to try to get those games to where we have a quality home schedule and we are playing two teams that are Division One caliber, decent teams to play. So it's scheduling is very difficult. And we've tried to get it to where we're playing two teams. And I think in most years we are moving forward. Go to Nick. Uh, how would you assess the players' energy levels heading into the Texas game and if it was up to the standard you had for the team? Yeah, I think the energy level was good. I think we started out the game really good. Uh, did we sustain it for 60 minutes in the game? No. Did we play well in the fourth quarter? No. But it doesn't have as much about how you started. You know, we started out, I thought, really well in the game. Um, Good energy, physical, knocked the ball off of them a couple times, ran the ball effectively in the beginning of the game. But our ability to sustain was not what it needs to be, and we didn't play well enough in the fourth quarter. We talked after the game about the Jalen Milrow's confidence level on the sidelines. He came to talk after you spoke on Saturday night, and we were really impressed with how positive he was despite not the best game. Is that what you're looking for throughout the year? And how big is that to be that confident player? Uh, I think it's important at all positions. You know, the one thing you don't want to do is get frustrated as a player. Um, you don't want one play to affect the next play. And to stay positive... But you can say stay positive, but we all have self-talk, right? We all, but you got to believe it. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to do this, but don't believe you can do it. You got to believe and trust in yourself too. So um, I think the players stayed positive. They tried to keep their energy level up. They didn't get frustrated in the game, and Jalen didn't either. Um, but still, 
you got to trust and have faith, confidence in doing what you coach to do on a consistent basis, and that's going to help you be successful. Yeah, Coach, on Saturday night you said the Texas game was a midterm, not the final. Um, you know, with a long season still to go, how do you think the team's mindset is right now? Well, I haven't talked to the team since after the game. I'll see them today, you know, when we watch the film. But um, I, I would be shocked if this team does not respond uh, in a really positive way um, to trying to get better, to try to do the things they need to do to get fixed. Um, but... You know, we, we have to have better execution. We've got to do simple things better, whether it's pass protection, blocking, controlling the line of scrimmage, not giving up big plays on defense, whatever. Uh, those are the things that are going to change. Uh, it's, this is not just about attitude of players. They all wanted to win more than any fan, more than anybody in this room, and they put all the work and preparation into it, and... You know, I feel badly for them that we weren't able to do whatever we need to do as coaches to try to help them have a better chance to be successful in the game. And we're all responsible for it, and we're all going to try to work hard to get better. So I would be shocked if um, these guys aren't don't come in here today with the attitude that we're going to go out there and try to improve and get better, and the future is now. I mean, we we got to do it now. That's, that's the main thing. Mike Rodeo. What have you seen from Tyler Buckner over the last couple of weeks as he's had more time in the system? Yeah, well, he played really well in the last scrimmage, and uh, I, he's done well in practice. So we feel really good about sort of how he's continued to improve and develop and gain confidence in what he's doing and have a good feeling around, you know, the teammates and the receivers and all that type of thing. Time for two more, Joe. Coach, throughout the offseason, you talked about having confidence that you had seven or eight starters along the offensive line. Did you have any consideration of making any moves during the game along the offensive line? Uh, not really. You know, we have confidence in the guys that are playing, and um, sure, they need to play better. But, um, you know, if we thought somebody was more ready to play, we we want the competition. We want guys to improve, to compete for playing time. But we also want them to be able to take advantage of the opportunity when they get it. So they got to prepare themselves properly to be able to do that. And we're going to keep working with as many guys as we can to get them to be able to play winning football. Right here in the back. Hey, Coach, just wanted your assessment. I know it's been a, a small sample size to this point, just the pass catchers, receivers, and tight ends through two games so far. Well, we only had one drop ball, one thing that you can consider being a drop ball in the last game. Um, so that part of it was pretty decent in the last game. I don't think we always got the ball to guys at times. And I think there were times when we didn't do it a good enough job of getting open so that we had options. Um, so it's a combination of I'm not disappointed in our receivers. I think our receivers can make explosive plays. Uh, everyone's got to be more consistent so we can develop a timing in the passing game between the protection, the receivers, and the quarterback so that we can be more consistent in what we're doing and eliminate some of the negative plays. That's the key to the drill. All right, All right thank you. There you have Nick Saban's news conference on a Monday as Alabama falls at Bryant-Denny Stadium to Texas 
We all know that. 34-24. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Justin Jones is still our captain. We will roll into break. When we come back, we'll talk about, well, what else? But uh, Texas thumping Alabama pretty dang hard Saturday night. You're listening to Big Noon Sports with Matt Lars and Justin. Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. The sky partially sunny this afternoon. Tuscaloosa's high close to 90. For tonight, mostly fair with a low at 69. For tomorrow, partially sunny. The chance of a few isolated showers by afternoon. The high at 89 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 90 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It is Big Noon Sports. Matt Mars, Justin. Appreciate you folks dialing us in. You can dial us up on the phone too, 205-342-9904, and we are going to take calls. In fact, J.D., hang on just a second. Lars, uh, I've been able to give my opinions and my thoughts on what happened. Uh, time's over after the game, and uh, we will throughout this particular broadcast. Uh, I, I want to offer you the opportunity to respond before we go to the phone lines. But first and foremost, and above all, let's all pause and remember 9-11. Uh, there are a lot of posts uh, on media sites, a lot of posts on social media. And um, uh, I just go back to 22 years ago and think of the horror Lars but um how are you feeling today I'm doing good I'm doing good and uh 9-11 is always a difficult day for me um I lived in I was living in New York City at the time and uh you know just saw saw things I wish I didn't see uh, lost friends and uh it's just difficult but uh looking at Alabama sort of big picture um 34-24 loss uh, first double-digit loss at home in the Saban era. That's pretty amazing. First double-digit home loss of the Saban era. And I think you could say that Texas just was clearly better on both sides of the ball. 
Longhorns probably could have put up 50 on Alabama if uh, not for a few kind of loose possessions in Alabama territory. Uh, Alabama clearly has issues at quarterback. Uh, Milrow threw two picks. Uh, one is returned for a score. And just had real difficulty generating a down-the-field passing attack. Um, I think the Alabama coaching staff kind of needs to look at what the Philadelphia Eagles do with Jalen Hurts and how they tailor the offense to Jalen Hurts' skill set. And, um, you know, if, if, if you're going to have Milrow be the guy, I just think there needs to be more sort of RPOs and uh, more just get him out in space uh, and, and uh, on, on bootlegs and other things. But uh, Alabama has problems on the offensive line. Um, Texas had five sacks, held Alabama to 107 yards rushing, just 3.1 yards per rush. Alabama has issues in the secondary, which I thought was going to be the strength of that defense. Uh, Texas and Quinn Ewers threw for 349, and uh, and Ewers just had, you know, all day to throw. Um, so, you know, so that's that, that's just kind of where things are. And again, just keeping with the bigger picture, in Alabama's last 19 games against Power Five opponents. Alabama's lost five times. In the previous 50 games against those opponents, it lost just five times, and two of those were in the national championship. So that raises the question, has there been slippage in the program? And the numbers would bear that out. Um, and then that raises the question of, okay, how, how long is this going to continue? But... Uh, you know, how much longer, there's so much buzz on, or so much uh, chatter on social media, you know, about this officially marks the end of the, the end of Alabama being at the top of the college football world. I, I wouldn't go there yet, but um, again, just you look at the statistics and you just, you, you, and you give just a fair analysis of what happened on Saturday night, Matt, you just have to say that uh, there's some issues that are plaguing this program right now. No question about it. And I know that a lot of people are saying it's the end. Right now, I would just say it's the beginning of the Sark era because Texas beat Alabama on their home surface. And there yeah, is nobody that can question that. Let's take our first phone call. J.D. has joined us on Big Noon Sports. How you doing, J.D.? Hey, good afternoon. How are y'all? All good. Great. Well, I, I would uh, I will partially agree with what y'all just said. Now, I would say when people are saying the Saban era or Alabama is over, I would agree with that if they'd have played uh, such and such high school or, or whatever. But that's not the case. Let's face it. Um, Texas has a phenomenal team. Let's give them what credit is due. But what we're overlooking is you can take about four mistakes that were made that literally is the difference between a 42-27 game and the 34-24 game. I mean, Alabama beats them by almost three touchdowns without these mental errors. The mental error on the interception, maybe a bad route, uh, miscommunication with receiver quarterback, uh, bad route with Bond going up the center. Um, 
all the way to the, the, the penalties on having two touchdowns pulled back. So I wouldn't be so quick to say doom and gloom. It was just a, a few errors that that really cost us the game, a couple of mental errors. I, I think if those mental errors don't happen, we're, we're having a whole different conversation. But I do think Texas is the title contender. I don't think Alabama's out. And I think Alabama is very well equipped to uh, – to handle everything coming forward. I do think we need a little bit better play calling aligned with the skill sets that we have. We don't have that blow it off the top receiver like we used to. Uh, so we've got to tailor our, our call play, our play calling to what we have and really highlight our attributes of what we have both offensively and defensively. And in that, we can kind of cover up some of our weaknesses. You make very, very good points. Uh, the two penalties uh, took touchdowns away, uh, and they ended up with field goals, and the two interceptions ended up with 10 points, plus Alabama gave Texas 90 yards and critical points in the football game through 10 penalties. So, you know, Alabama, Texas won, but Alabama sure, has tri- sure tried to help them. J.D., you got a final thought? You know what? I just I don't like all the people putting the the burden to blame on uh, our quarterback. I think he's a solid guy. I think we need to, to iron some things out. And I've got full faith in my team, and I'm ready to see him in the title game this year. Roll Tide. Uh, good attitude. Texas. Good, ana- good analysis. Yeah. Really good analysis. JD fair, 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 and clear-minded, uh, clear-eyed, clear-eyed. I should say. Um, yeah, Matt. So give us give us your uh, take on sort of just big picture of what what you saw transpire and what needs to go what needs to happen moving forward for this team to go on a run here because clearly everything is still in in front of Alabama they, you, you went out you're in the in the college football playoffs um, so they, they control everything, but they have to be sort of perfect, right, for the rest of the season. They don't. Yeah, but the, the question is, can they win out? Uh, the team that was very mistake-prone this past Saturday night is not going to beat a lot of teams. Well, they'll beat a lot of teams, but, I mean, they come up against the LSUs, the Tennessees, and the Georgias. Um, they're not going to win games if they played like they did. To me, the biggest disappointment is the offensive line. You remember J.C. Latham at SEC Media Days? How he said, we're going to make them quit? Um, Texas made them quit. And then conversely, the defensive line uh, couldn't get pressure at all. And that was a huge... You know, these were supposed to be the, uh, the assets of the 2023 Alabama Crimson Tide. And uh, I quite honestly didn't see that. It looked like in the first quarter, Alabama was uh, dominating the line of scrimmage, getting four and five yards of carry. But that wasn't existent in the fourth quarter, and neither was the defense because, Lars, they were flat-out gassed. Yeah, and I, I, th- I said to the person I was watching the game with, um, I, I first realized that Alabama was in trouble that – very first punt by Texas. Number one, the 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 gunner uh, for Texas, and I forget what number he was and what his name was, but the Alabama Alabama didn't have anybody uh, in front of him, right? They didn't have he didn't have a defender on him, so he had a free release, 
And then he, so, so there's a mental mistake right there by Alabama. So that's one. And then two, that kid made <laughs> the most athletic, one of the most athletic plays I've seen in a long time, right? When he, he dove into the end zone and tapped the ball back out. I mean, it was just like, wow, Texas has got some athletes. And they seemed more athletic, actually, than last year. And they just, they came into Bryant Denny with so much confidence. And we talked about this before the game, Matt, a lot last week, that uh, Texas doesn't, isn't afraid of Alabama because they feel like they would have won last year had, uh, had uh, Quinn Ewers not gotten hurt. And you could see that confidence right from the jump on Saturday night. Quinn Ewers is some kind of special. Man, he is good. He is NFL ready right now. Alabama in the first team he's going to pick apart this year. That's for sure. Chris, stay on hold. We'll take more phone calls on the other side of the break. 205-342-9904. This is Monday, Big Noon Sports. This is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Coming up up. on The Game with Ryan Fowler. Coming up on the Monday edition of The Game, we'll do the good, the bad, and the ugly, sponsored by DanielMoreArt.com. We'll talk to Martin Houston. We'll talk to Barrett Salee. Hopefully, we're recapping an Alabama win against the Texas Longhorns, all starting at 2 o'clock here on The Game on Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama Crimson Tide Sports. The longest-running sports program in Tuscaloosa. The Game with Ryan Fowler. Weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Happy Monday to all of you. Matt, Lars, and, and you at 205-342-9904. And Chris has been on hold through the break. We appreciate your patience. What you got on your mind? Hey, thanks for taking my call, gentlemen. Uh, first off, Kudos to uh, Texas for the win. Um, great for their program. And I mean, them coming in the conference next year and, and the rivalry that'll uh, take place. I think that's great for football and great for our, our schedule and fan bases. So kudos to them. Um, Lars, I think you really hit the nail on the head uh, when you spoke on tailoring the offense to Dale Melrose's strength. Uh, I don't want to be a quarterback, you know, coach, uh, Monday morning coach, but um, I, I don't – everything's not his fault for sure, but I think that will help strengthen this offense if they did that. I, I think that you can look back to Lane Kiffin doing that with Blake Sims. It would be a good comparison and really just not trying to ask too much. I think they're trying to wanting – they're wanting him to be a pro-style quarterback to sit in the pocket, make the reads, and do the throws, and I think he just hasn't progressed and – we all know that or see that, but if you can use his ability, because he's itching to run 
But I think yeah. he wants to stay in that pocket, and he wants to do what coaches ask him to do, and it's just not natural for him, and it's hard for him to do those things and process, especially when he made some mistakes with the interception right off the bat. And, and I think that if you tailor that, I'd love to see him stretch the sideline more. We don't do that as much, and I know that Coach Saban is trying to make the team identity be ground and pound up the middle, control the possession. Um, the clock possession, but if we stretch the field more, you know, try and, try and make these plays be a little bit more east and west and see if he can't make something happen with his ability. That's just a thought to try and do that. Um, and, and then my, my second thing, and I'll hang up and listen, I really am impressed with special teams with our place kicking and our punting, and I think that's a strength that we have with the execution. I mean, there was one botched punt Saturday, but I love what I'm seeing from special teams. That's made a huge difference, just flipping the field. Um, who would have thought that we'd say that, you know, in a Nick Saban coach team? But um, I would like to see Kool-Aid do a little bit better. I feel like he kind of missed judge distance or hang time on some of these kids because, I mean, he was backpedaling like crazy on most of these punts, and he couldn't return because by the time he caught it, they were on him. and. I think he could do a little better with that to give himself a chance to make an explosive play and help us split the field there. So I think he, he could he could clean that up, but um, Texas earned the win. So I'll hang up and listen. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for your call, Chris. Again, you can join at 205-342-9904. Remember a couple of plays, Lars, is as he's talking about using the quarterback and mistakes here and, and we're really many drops, but there were a couple of times when uh, McClellan was so wide open, once on a, a little flare, and he threw behind him, and another one on the wheel route in the second half, which uh, would have easily gone for six, but we just keep going back to the if this, if that, if that, if this, you know, the fact of the matter, it, it didn't happen, and um, I'm not sure, a lot of Alabama fans are giving Texas credit I'm giving them a whole lot of credit for handling the crowd, which was really one of the best <laughs> I've ever seen at Bryant-Denny Stadium. And they were in it till the end, till the fourth quarter when Texas put up three touchdowns. But I don't think there's any question, Lars, that there is a brand-new rivalry in the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, um, these have just been two terrific games, two terrific atmospheres i mean it's it, it doesn't get much better and um I, I thought that was really good analysis by chris as well a good a good breakdown of uh of, of the good and the bad <clears throat> for alabama uh from saturday night but um you know matt what does it say about the other quarterbacks on the roster the fact that uh nick saban did not pull Jalen Milrow for one series or, or, or and just and just give Milrow a chance to kind of you know see things unfold from the sideline and also give an opportunity to Tyler Buckner who you know apparently is is really the number two two guy now um the, the just the fact that uh he's stuck with Milrow I mean I think it's it's a great uh, sort of show of uh, loyalty and confidence uh, in Milrow, but at the same time, I was just uh, I, it, as I sort of interpreted it, it was really sort of a 
you know, he's making a statement here about where the other two guys are in relation to Milrow, which kind of suggests that Alabama's got a problem at quarterback. He was asked in postgame uh, about Jalen Monroe and whether or not there was uh, ever any thought to putting in Tyler Buckner or, you know, either one of the Tylers. Um, but he paused rather dramatically, not like a dramatic play pause. He just paused, and it's like he was given thought. He said, kind of like, well, this maybe I kind of thought about it, but we never really discussed it. But I, I think as he's been very, very slow to do this, this is not his M.O., he doesn't bring in guys. Uh, he gives the starter the nod, and I pretty much think it, it'll be at South Florida. It'll be Melrose again. But maybe that's something that uh, Alabama could have done. And I think you made a really good point, Lars, in not just pulling him, saying, okay, go sit down. Let him see the view of the field from the sideline. And I, I think sometimes that really gives uh, the starting quarterback – uh, a lot of, uh, you know, it just gives him a different vision. Gives him a breath. Gives him a chance to talk to his OCs and, and those other coaches and maybe come back in with a different charge. Let's go to Brick. He is dialed 205-342-9904. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Doing good. Hey, just just a couple comments here. You know, at, at the end of the day, I'm I'm not – uh, this is not the end-all, be-all. Uh, I remember years back when we got handled pretty well by Ole Miss, and we, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot that game. We came back and, and played exceptionally well um, and, you know, came back and, and actually won a national championship. So uh, this is not the end of it. But I do have a question. You know, Saban is 71 years old now. And I don't think he loves the game where it's evolved to with the NIL and with a lot of the things that uh, are going on in college sports right now. My question is, who has he been mentoring to take over this program? Who is he and who has the administration been investing in to take this thing over and, and, and deal with the post Saban era, you know, I, I look at how Ohio State, you know, did when Urban Meyer left. They had Ryan Day. They had some people, you know, in inside the system that w they were grooming and mentoring to be head coaches. And you know, I, I don't know that we, I don't see that we're doing that. But maybe one of the things about you know Texas winning this ball game, and you never hate, you never want to lose one. But maybe this validate Sark as a, a top-tier, yeah. top echelon head coach, and maybe Brick, he can come back Brick, to Alabama. Brick, that is such a good point. Um, I was discussing that earlier today. I mean, uh, does, does, it, this, does this make, well, there's two things, two questions for you, and I'd love to, to, love to hear your thoughts, Brick. Um, one, does this make Steve Sarkeesian a lot more palatable to Alabama fans to be the next head coach, right? So that's number one. And number two is, would Sark leave Texas to come to Alabama? What is a more, in this in this age of NIL, what is a more coveted job, Texas or Alabama? You know, I have to think that 
I would hope that the loyalty and the love and the everything that the second chance that Sart was given, and he speaks so glowingly of Alabama and his time here. I, I would hope that that would lend some weight to him potentially, you know, wanting to come back. And you know, it absolutely makes him more palatable. And and I, I tell you what, the, the caller, a couple callers ago said. Texas is gonna Texas is gonna thump and throttle some people this year. They've got talent. They've got a good game plan, good scheme. Um, I think Sark is doing an excellent job over there. I just hope that you know at some point, you know maybe he's the guy to come back to Alabama. But this definitely gives him credibility and you know gravitas and and you know maybe potentially being able to come back and. And, and follow Saban. It's going to be a tough job, whoever takes it. But, you know, I watched the Ole Miss game this weekend, and I know everybody says, well, let's get Kiffin, let's get Kiffin. Man, I love Kiffin. I love his attitude. I love his, his kind of the sharpness of, of everything he does. But, man, he is a gambler, and he just does things sometimes that I shake my head at that, you know, with the superior talent that he would have at Alabama – would he be willing to change and, and kind of change his approach to, to, to doing things? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. Brick, what a great call. And uh, please dial us up later in the week if you'd like to contribute because you certainly did on this Monday. Thank you, sir. Our number is 205-342-9904. And uh, another thing that Sark does, and I'm not saying he does this with, with intent because I think it is absolutely genuine, but it does help if you're thinking about moving forward. He constantly, and again after the game Saturday night, gave praise that he would not be where he is without Nick Saban, and I don't think that hurts his cause. However, you brought up the one thing that would make me, if not Sark, want to stay in Austin. N-I-L. Yeah, they, absolutely. They can produce it, and Alabama can try, but they can never match it. All right, this is Big Noon Sports. Back with more after this break. On the next Inside the Locker Room with Coach Wimp Sanderson and Barry Sanderson. Tune in Tuesday. We'll talk at 7.30 with Kevin Skarbansky. We'll still look back at the Alabama-Texas game. Also, Jack Crow will join us at 8.15. Jack will really break down the ins and outs of what happens on both sides of the ball. And we'll also break down Nick Saban's press conference from Monday. Inside the Locker Room, weekdays 7 to 9 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. When you wake up, Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. The sky partially sunny this afternoon. Tuscaloosa's high close to 90. For tonight, mostly fair with a low at 69. For tomorrow, partially sunny. The chance of a few isolated showers by afternoon. The high at 89 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 91 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Got a phone line open if you'd like to join us, as many have previously in the hour, 205-342-9904. Lars, we can keep going over the Alabama deal and the Alabama deal, and we will. In fact, at the top of the hour, I uh, co-host 
on the Saturday evening afternoon show, the postgame show there on Tide and the Bear in Tuscaloosa. Kerry Clark, longtime friend, um, kind of dates him, but dates me too. We actually went to Alabama at the same time. So he'll be on in just a few minutes. I appreciate him agreeing to do just that. South Florida, um, a guy asked in the news conference about 40 minutes ago about how different it is for Alabama to be traveling this early. Of course, the Bulls will come to Bryant-Denny Stadium next year, but, you know, you kind of look at the schedule and go, do you raise an eyebrow on that? that? That's kind of interesting. A home and home with a school like South Florida. Yeah, it's uh, um, different and extremely rare in the Saban era uh, to uh, go on the road in a non-conference uh, game. Uh, it's it's really it's it's Alabama's first road contest at a non. Power Five school in 20 years, 20 years since uh, 2003 when they lost at Hawaii. And it's also Alabama's fourth true non-conference road game, just its fourth true non-conference road game in Nick Saban's 17 seasons. Great so, stats. So this doesn't happen very much. It does not happen I'm very much. Hawaii, and, um, 20 years ago? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the and the four okay so this is alabama's fourth non-conference true road game in 17 seasons under nick saban and here's the list uh you go back to in september 18 2010 at duke alabama won 62 13. september 10 2011 at penn state alabama won 27 11. september 10 2022 i was at texas alabama won 2019 and now you have September 16th, 2023 at USF. So this is just, it's just a weird, crazy matchup, right? And uh, and it comes at an important time for, you know, for Alabama and, and, you know, maybe going on the road and and the, the bonding that happens going on the road. I mean, Jay, Jay would always tell us, uh, Matt, Jay Barker, that he loved road games. He loved it so much because it just uh, it, it, it created uh, a closeness among the team, right? It, and it, it, it bonds players together in ways that you don't bond when you're playing at home. And so this this could be a uh, it, it's going to be a you know for playing uh, you know at, at UCF. This is a pretty important contest. It's not really the opponent, but it's fact going on the road and also. Um, you know, just riding the ship. And Nick Saban in his press conference, he was very adamant that uh, he's like, I would be, I think he said the word, the word he used was shocked. Several times. I'd be, I'd be shocked if we don't respond very well. That's interesting um, because both in his post game and then his news conference that we played here on Big Noon Sports just a few minutes ago, he, he's not fist pounding on the podium. Not that he ever did that a lot, but even in his voice back in the day when Alabama rarely lost a game like this, you, you could hear anger in his voice. I don't hear that. Now, I don't know that that's good or bad, but what I think it means is that his team just played a game fraught with errors and that he has a really good gut feeling on what Alabama can do moving forward, and he expects it to start 
in Tampa. Yeah, and you look at um, Alabama's schedule going forward. Um, you know, the SEC, I think we could make this assessment after three weeks that the SEC's down this year for no whatever question. reason. Maybe maybe everybody else is just sort of caught up, and uh, you know I, I don't know either SEC's down or, or everybody else is up. But um, now suddenly the schedule looks very uh, manageable for Alabama, uh, and so you know it, all hope is not lost. I mean it, it is important to remember that if Alabama beats Texas. Texas is is done, right? They're cooked. They they don't have a their national championship aspirations are were over. This was not a must win for Alabama. Everything is is, is just right there, and um, you know no team with two losses has ever advanced to the college football playoffs in the four in, under this current format of four teams. So uh, you can deduce from that obviously that Alabama has to be perfect from here on out and they'll most likely have to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game to get in and then probably Georgia would get in because Georgia's going to run the table to the SEC championship game and uh, Texas clearly looks like they have a pretty good path to the national champion or to the college football playoffs so we'll 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 see but uh, it, it will be a very for again for the, for the caliber of the opponent, Matt. This is going to be a really important game, I think, for Alabama this season. Again, just to see how they respond uh, on Saturday. I think that uh, Bama fans would like to see the offense get in gear and put up some points, and uh, obviously uh, get some pressure on the quarterback. Uh, so I, that's what they expect. I don't know that it needs to be a, a fifty to nothing game. I think it means to be a mistake-free game. Lars, could you believe after game one and all of the efforts this coaching staff made in the offseason to correct penalties that Alabama had nine penalties for 90 yards? And when you have that many, often they're going to come at crucial times. And they took points off the board or led to points. It was, uh, it was extraordinary that mistakes that we didn't see in week one and were expected to be corrected in week two were not there. What about the penalties, Lars? Surprising. We were at home. By the way, they were at home. Yeah. The more um, prepared team and the more disciplined team certainly appeared to be Texas on Saturday night, which is not something you see very often or not something that we've seen very often in 17 years, right? And uh, just a handful of times. And uh, like I said earlier, um, you know, this is the first double-digit home loss of Nick Saban's entire tenure at Alabama. So they have a lot to clean up. But the thing is, and and Nick Saban said this, that he, he believes that everything can be improved upon like everything all the problems can be fixed but in so what you want to see on saturday at south florida which has a, a 230 kickoff on on abc um you want to see just more discipline play and so uh, matt i'm sure you were as surprised as everyone else that uh, there was this lack of of discipline on alabama on saturday 
Yep, incredible. And I think even maybe more surprised uh, that Alabama was getting flagged is that Texas, they were the more disciplined team on the road. Bryant Denny was rocking, and yet uh, they were better coached in that area. I don't think you could be more honest than that. Um, Sark outcoached, don't you think? His play calling was brilliant. He's got great wide receivers. I don't know that Alabama will see. Uh, I don't know. No. What's the no. next best team on Alabama's schedule that will be as formidable as the one you saw I, 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 Saturday night? I, I think uh, probably Ole Miss. Yeah. Uh, right now, Alabama faces three more teams this season that are currently ranked in the top 25, in the AP top 25. Um, but, yeah, I mean, who do you think? I'll, I'll turn it on you. Who do you think is going to be more uh, uh, the most difficult? Well, people can come into Bryant-Denny. That was made evident Saturday night. Um, let's see. Ole Miss, okay, maybe there. LSU later on. What about Tennessee? Uh, Joe Milton's still running it up there, too. Yeah. But Alabama and the team that we expected to enter the 23 campaign, um, I think will be favored in all of these games. The only game they wouldn't be favored in is if they... Uh, Play Georgia. You know, would be Georgia, and that would be uh, in Atlanta. But, uh, mm -hmm. And you said something a minute ago. We probably need to go into greater detail next hour. Is that... Uh, how down is the Southeastern Conference? I mean, look what happened to A&M. Good grief. Man, I don't know if Jimbo Fisher is going to be coaching there next year. I That's the first thing I thought. And then also, um, how much is it going to rain on Bobby Petrino? Um, good grief. It was a, a ridiculous showing. Uh, and uh, it's worse to be in Aggie land right now than it is in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to get to the top of the hour. Kerry Clark will join us in just a minute. There are a couple other topics, Lars, that we need to get to. Um, I read this, and I'll use savings. I was shocked. I was shocked by what I read about Mel Tucker. Unbelievable goings-on at Michigan State University. Also, here's another struggling SEC team. Auburn did not look impressive at all. But you know what teams can do? 2,500 miles away, they can find a way to win, and Auburn did that. If not for the interception at the very end, Cal may have upset the Auburn Tigers. But, big but, it didn't happen. They'll host Sanford this weekend. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Kerry Clark will join us in just a couple of minutes. WTUG HD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Matt Colbert, Justin Jones is our captain once again today. And we're joined by Kerry Clark, longtime reporter for the university at the University of Alabama. Went to the University of Alabama and classmate, classmate named Matt Coulter. Kerry, how are you doing today? The, uh, the, the glasses, uh, uh, 
How do you, is your perspective any better than it was Saturday night slash Sunday morning? Probably a little more realism, a little less uh, hot-tempered uh, reality. Uh, yeah, I think so. So, uh, in what ways do you see it a little bit different? Well, I think a lot of it came out in the uh, press conferences today with players and the coaches. They realized that changes need to be made. And uh, I think you will see some changes slowly but surely in the personnel. Uh, I, I do not think, you know, I mean, I, I think we all made this on the, clear on the air Saturday that I don't think Milrose is the long-term answer at quarterback. I don't think Dalcord's the long-term answer at right guard. And uh, I think the defense just picked a bad night to have a bad night. I don't think they're really all that bad. But there, there's going to have to be some, some changes made offensively for sure. Were you as surprised at the play of the offensive front, the offensive line, as I was? I was surprised at how they underachieved. Yeah. After all this talk all summer about how they were going to dominate the last scrimmage and hit people in the mouth, and uh, they haven't shown that. And I, I'm, I'm sort of getting tired of all the Babel's got the biggest offensive line in the country talk. Uh, it, it may be that everybody but the center needs to drop about 20. Yeah, and then the center needs to learn to stop taking infield, hitting ground balls. What's up with that? I agree, well, I agree with that, Matt, but I found out he was playing hurt, and that had a lot to do with his performance. Do you know the extent or where his injury was? Is it certainly a I don't know the extent, but I'm, I'm, I don't know the exact extent of it or what it was, but I'm told that it should be much better by this Saturday. And I, I, don't, I don't think you're going to see uh, infield practice this Saturday in Tampa. Well, and, and I'll lay a tough question on you because you can handle it. Um, at what point during a game when that continues to happen do you make a change there and same question times two at quarterback? Mid-second quarter in both cases before halftime. And let me say this, Matt. I mean, you know, right now we're all coaches, okay? All oh, the on-chair sure. coaches Good ones too. surface. Yeah, and, and we're all undefeated. We don't have that one loss. So, uh, but, but I'm just saying, you, you can't tolerate. Somebody was was hitting me on Twitter today, talking about rebuilding, and I reminded him that Alabama doesn't rebuild under Nick Saban. Uh, the talent's there. It's not a it's not a matter of talent. It's a matter of assembling the talent in the right position, and that talent gelling. And what we found out Saturday night was it hasn't gelled yet. It's not a matter of talent. The talent's there, but. <laughs> You know, you got to perform. Do you anticipate a much different-looking Alabama team this weekend in Tampa? You mean personnel-wise? Probably Just not play, to start overall the game. play. Yeah, overall, oh, overall play. play. Yeah, I think Alabama. Uh, I think Alabama's favored by something like twenty-nine. I think they'll cover. I really do. But it has to do with the opponent. Uh, we got all excited about a performance against Middle Tennessee. But that's not really – that's like that, – that's, that's not a power five opponent. And nothing against Middle Tennessee. I understand they gave Missouri the Dickens before they, they lost late Saturday. Uh, so credit the Blue Raiders. You know, maybe they're the greatest over 2 team in the country. But even that being said, you can't judge Alabama on how they play against Middle Tennessee. Uh, there was a lot of fool's gold that night. And uh, it, it came it came to uh, the surface this past Saturday, 
And, uh, I, yes, I do think it'll get corrected because you've still got the greatest college coach of all time running things. So I think it'll get corrected, but I'm going to say this for the record, and it may tick off some listeners, it may not. But unless the change is made at quarterback sooner than later, they're looking at uh, three or four more games this season like this past Saturday. And I'll leave it at that. Defensively, um, you mentioned they just picked a bad evening to have a bad night. <laughs> but um, no changes there. I was very, very surprised. Alabama, even with blitzes, which they didn't do a whole lot of, but I, I thought a lot more of the defensive line going into this one than I did coming out. Why couldn't they get a rush on yours? They got a block. And uh, Texas' offensive line, who we had heard had been underachieving, either played up to potential or overachieved this past Saturday. And they, they did a great job picking up you know blitzes and uh, you're right. Uh, there were very few pressures and zero sacks. And when the other team gets five sacks on you and you get zero on them, that's a bad thing. But the uh, the Texas offensive line was just ready to play. And I obviously didn't think the Alabama defensive line played terribly, but they could have done better. I think there needs there – needs, and I think they've got mostly the right people in the secondary. Uh, they, I think they've got the right – in the dime package, but they may need to do some shuffling around as far as who plays the base in the nickel package. But uh, I was more disappointed with the secondary and the linebackers than I was the D-line Saturday match. And is that more in coverage or is that against the run? Secondary in coverage, linebackers against the run. Uh, there, there was a play... Uh, late in the game when Alabama was trying to get the ball back before they jumped offside when a, a respected inside linebacker just missed the tackle and the guy got a first down on, on a little draw that he shouldn't have gotten a first down on. And I, I think they know Deontay Lawson is the middle linebacker and the Mike linebacker, the defensive quarterback in the core. I think they're still trying to find that second guy to start at the inside position. They've auditioned three guys there now and none of them have really jumped off the page film-wise and said, hey, it's my job. So, <laughs> again, the talent is there, but they, they've got to figure out how to get the right 11 and all that, the right different packages out there. And, and they're paid a lot of money to do that. We're not. We're just paid to talk about it and act like we know about it. But at the same time, you know, <laughs> there's going to have to be some changes made. And I think there will be, and I think they'll be implemented gradually. Uh, I don't think it'll be drastic against South Florida. And, uh I heard Max Howell on Wimp's show this morning uh, say, Ole Miss doesn't have the players to be Alabama. You need 40, and they've got about 25. Uh, and he may be right about that. But when you're talking about people like Tennessee and LSU, and as bad as they look, A&M will be home when they play Alabama. They won't be on the road. Uh, and we all know, we talked about it many times on our show, Matt, Saturday night, about the voodoo at Jordan Harrison. You've got to have your best personnel in place by the time you play those four games. You just have to. How did they? How did uh, Texas? A lot of this goes to Quinn Ewers, which I'll say off the top here. But they successfully got over the top against Alabama. Were they just breakdowns in coverage? Yes, yes. Saban even said that in the post game Saturday. Uh, that, that when they play certain types of coverage, you have to match whoever's coming your way. You have to you have to match up that person. 
And there were more than one occasion when somebody didn't take the guy they were supposed to take and it left that person wide open. Now, that has to do with practice rep, chemistry with the personnel you're playing with, uh, the signal caller back there who I believe to be Malachi Moore, making the right calls, you know, but uh, that all comes with experience. And you, you went up against a legit top 10 team in your second game of the year. And in this case, that chemistry wasn't there yet in that secondary. And it resulted in some, some breakdowns that on at least three plays, I thought I was watching last year's Tennessee game. But they weren't horrible the whole night. Uh, they, they also made some plays, but they didn't make enough plays. So the secondary will only get better uh, as the season com- com- gets gets stronger. The, the talent is there in the secondary. It's a matter of meshing and the chemistry and staying in the right calls and, you know, matching the patterns correctly when you're told to and things like that. But, but yes, yeah, so that, that was a long way to say, yes, there were breakdowns, Matt. What do you expect to see at quarterback 230 ABC kickoff in Tampa versus the Bulls of South Florida? I'll be surprised if Milrow doesn't start the game, but I think this is one of those situations where the hook just got a lot quicker, a lot shorter. And uh, if he gets out there and starts screwing up, I think you'll see Buckner early, and I think you'll see Buckner often. And just to clear up, I know a lot of fans have called in and they've been asking about Ty Simpson, and Ty Simpson has a ton of ability, uh, but he doesn't make the reads as accurately and as often correctly as Tyler Buckner. That's why Buckner is the backup quarterback and not Simpson. So once the decision is made to pull the starter, which currently is Milro, for any reason, the guy that goes in is going to be Buckner, not Simpson, not Lonergan, not anybody else. It'll be Buckner. Buckner is the backup right now. And in my opinion, Buckner is the guy that can take Alabama to the playoffs if he's given the chance. That's one man's you, opinion. You think that uh, Ty Simpson ends up in the portal? Well, if I were saying right now, I'd have to say yes. But it's a long year. There's double-digit games still left to play. And by the way, speaking about games left to play, Matt, how fired up you are you about today's announcement that will put us at walk-ons for two straight Saturday nights? Oh, I didn't hear the announcement of the Ole Miss game. What, what's the kickoff? 2.30, CBS, 2.30. Good, good. We'll be a walk-on. That's good for Terry, Matt, and Mark. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, older I get, the less I can stay up late. I'm a, I used to really like the night games, and I still do. But in the case with us being a walk-ons, it, it helps to kick off you know, before 4 or 5 o'clock. So we've been burning some midnight oil. Uh, Carrie, we have, uh, but I, I, I tell you what, I, I can taste those five mushrooms right now, brother. All right, let's, uh, I'll see you there next week. Uh, well, next Saturday, actually. Thanks for, uh, thanks for time, Carrie. All right. Yes, sir. Okay, you too. All right. Um, got more calls on the other side of this break. You can dial in at 205-342-9904. Got a lot to talk about. Let's touch on Auburn. Their struggles out on the West Coast. And quite honestly, how fortunate they were to uh, fly back with a W. You're listening to Big Noon Sports.
right, team. 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. The sky partially sunny this afternoon. Tuscaloosa's high close to 90. For tonight, mostly fair with a low at 69. For tomorrow, partially sunny. The chance of a few isolated showers by afternoon. The high at 89 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 91 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. It is indeed. Welcome back and welcome to the phones. Let's go right to them. Robbie, how you doing on Big Noon Sports? Hey, what's going on, Matt? We're playing pretty well today as opposed to Saturday night. Yeah, it was tough. I know Alabama Nation's hurt, and I, I was a little shocked myself. But you know, we said we said going into the game, uh, Texas was going to be it was going to be a tough, tough game. Even though I, you know, I predicted a kind of Alabama pull away at the end to blow out, missed it by a bunch. But we said it was going to be one in the trenches, and we did not win the trenches at all. Rob, either side Robbie. of the ball. Robbie, what does uh, Alabama need to do moving forward to get back on track? Uh, just just find their identity, get back. That was they got knocked in the mouth right there by a very good team and and a very veteran team. Forget they had a bunch of seniors on that defensive line that know how to play the game. So we got some young guys on that line. Know how no matter how talented you are and how big you are, you still got to learn some things, and you you learn that over time and. They, they, they probably grew up with that. You know, they probably learned some things like, oh, I ain't seen that before in high school. And so they'll, they'll, they'll learn from it. They'll go to work, look at game film today, and then get ready for South Florida. South Florida, you know, is still going to hit them. They, if, if they're not ready to play, South Florida will get them, you know. If you're still licking your wounds, I think they'll be ready to go. And, I you know, it's kind of weird we're going to South Florida, but I, I'm thinking it's more of a recruiting trip. I don't know about you all, but – there's a lot of that's a hotbed around there, and they got a lot of no. players from there. So Nick just wants to visit his new house. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Maybe he's taking the team over there to hang out. So, but I doubt <laughs> it. <laughs> no, there won't. But be I, you know, I just want to see him rebound. I want to, you know, I want to see him uh, get after it. I'm going to talk to a couple of the coaches, you know, and just I have a feeling they're they're going to shrug it off. They got beat, and they got what did I say uh, Friday? I said they have a lot in front of them to get right back into this thing with. I mean, they got Ole Miss next week. You know, you want to look ahead, you got to go to Texas A&M. You got Auburn at home. You got, you know, LSU, Tennessee, all these high-powered offenses that they just faced, you know, that with former coaches. So they got plenty of time to get back in and get to that SEC championship against probably Georgia. But uh, they got plenty to get back into the playoffs. I just gotta uh, forget about it. And move on, Robbie. Here's an amazing stat: for the first time since 2002, Alabama, Florida, and LSU all have a loss by the end of week two. Um, and we know that LSU lost by three touchdowns to Florida State in week one. Uh, Alabama lost on Saturday night, and again the first double-digit defeat uh, in Nick Sa- in the Nick Saban era. And his first as a college head, head coach since 2003. And then the Gators, uh, they lost to Utah by 13. And also you had Texas A&M losing to Miami on Saturday, 48-33. Um, so the question is, is the SEC as down as it appears through really three weeks of play? 
No, I don't. I don't think so. I think those were just really good teams that they played, and the only one, but was it Bama was the only one that was at home, right? Everybody else was on the road or a neutral site. So there's something to say about that going to their place and their good teams that they were playing. Utah is a tough place to go, period. Um, and Florida's kind of down, anyways. But Texas A&M, I was shocked Miami put that many points on them. Um, LSU just just wasn't ready, and Florida State's a, a much better team. Um, I don't know. I think I, it's a long season, second week. We'll be fine. I think SEC will be right back where we need to be. Uh, probably help, probably beat up on each other a little bit. So maybe we won't get two teams in, but we'll definitely have a team in there, probably going for another national title. Hey, Lars, I just uh, looked something up real quick. By the way, the Alabama-Florida LSU stat about having lost a game in the first two weeks, Nick Saban was a coach of two of those teams. Yeah. Just thought I might roll that out there. <laughs> hey, hey uh, we, I want to ask forget. you. Yeah. Real quick question, Robbie, because you've been there, done that as a, as a former Alabama baseball player. How tough is it mentally to get over getting slugged in the mouth like that? Uh, you know, it's, you know, it's part of sports going to happen. Um, I, I feel maybe certain positions probably takes a little harder, like the quarterback, um, Milrose is going to be looking over his shoulder now, knowing he's got to perform or else he could get, you know, get hooked right away. And so that, that, that's going to be tough, but Hey, that's why he came to Bama to, to prove that he can handle it. And that's why you come. So certain positions, maybe. Uh, like a kicker that might have missed a kick. How does he get back mentally? But I, everyone else, yeah, they got hit in the mouth. They're going to turn around, and they got to forget it because, you know, they're working on a game plan for South Florida and get ready to travel. And then they got Ole Miss coming in, so you don't have time to think about it. They'll, they'll get back. Plus, you can look at the positives. They were leading the game in the third quarter at the end, and then the next three minutes we're losing it. But, you know, there, there's some positives there. Yeah, they lost. By a couple, by, by uh, what ten points or whatever, but they didn't play good and we're still there. Let's put it that way. Um, Robbie, appreciate yes, it. I hope to see you Friday at yeah. Free. Uh, I'll see what I can I know do. The, Friday. the team's not in town, but we will be. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love being there. I was there Saturday. I went back again to get some food. So Tennessee yeah. fans. Now the next I'm Friday I won't me. be able to be. Texas fans. Next Friday too. I won't be able to be with Ole Miss. I got a striker strong golf tournament that Friday, uh, but I'll definitely be listening. Thanks, Robbie. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Robbie. you, Matt. All right, let's go to Macon, Georgia. George, a regular on the show. I'd love like to hear your evaluation. Yeah, my evaluation is this: first off, and we're hearing all this stuff about Saban losing his touch and. You know, Milrose terrible. Well, just like you stated, we're ahead going into the fourth quarter. Also, I think I read somewhere where he was rushed 48 to 49% of the times that he dropped off, dropped back. I mean, you can put most anybody back there, Bryce Young, but if he's rushed and running for his life 49 to 50% of the time, he's going to have a tough game. But my problem is this. Uh, what... um Milroe does best is athleticism and running the ball. He throws good enough, but I feel like we had to have more plays where it was design run, just like they did with um, Jalen Hurt. You know, if the first guy was not open, he took off and got 10 to 20 yards. And what's bad with getting 
I mean, what's different on how you get to 10 or 20 yards, by pass or by run? You know, just if you watch the Philadelphia um, Eagles like yesterday, you know, he got critical first downs by running the ball. And I think that um, the hesitation of trying to go to your second and third option, you know, slows him down from having to make a decision, and then it's too late. Um, I have no problems with Milrow, mainly because, you know, my only problem was this, with the first interception, you know, like we saw with Bryce Young and Tua, you know, the guy, it looked like he was in press coverage, but it was zoned, and he threw it over there, and the guy intercepted it. That play right there, and then the overthrow with the wheel route. You know, that, that was a play that, you know, should have been made. But other than that, in his second interception, I really have no problem. But they weren't, we weren't using his skill set properly. You know, he is not a drop back passer, never will be. He's very athletic. He runs very fast, as everybody wants to say. And that's what we need to showcase. The defense, other than the first quarter was awful. I mean, that's just, you know, we go ahead in the fourth quarter and five easy plays, they fly down the court or fly down the field and score. And then we have a jump off side in a critical in the fourth quarter also. Those are things uh, Matt and Lars, I just don't understand. Um, I know we're better than that. I also know that our coaches are better than that. And I'm not ready to throw in the towel. You know, sometimes like Nick, like Coach Saban says, sometimes we, you know, we do wrong and we're going to be punished and then you'll listen after you've done wrong. But um, those are kind of my takes and uh, I think that we still can get to where we want to go. But, you know, 10 penalties, I mean, look at it this way. We had 10 penalties. We made a lot of mistakes. And we still had the opportunity to win. I mean, that says something right there. Take away the penalties, take away the turnovers, and we win that game by, you know, 10 points. But I will say this about the defense. We were pretty tough in the red zone in the first two or three quarters because they got down there a yeah, couple of times. Yeah, made them kick field goals. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I think we even stopped on a fourth and one, which is pretty amazing. Indeed. So. Uh, so, but that's kind of my take. And what do you think about my assessment? Well, it sounds to me like uh, you think Alabama needs to run a little bit more RPO. I would tend right. to agree with you. Um, one of the things you mentioned is that drive after Alabama took the lead, if you blinked, it was already Texas's favor again. Uh, that was just a, a quick, unexcusable defensive alignment and, and play by Alabama because Texas – they weren't behind by, I think, 59 seconds on the actual clock. Right. Um, so um, I, I think RPO and, and uh, more consistent play. But they were, you know, they were getting gassed because the one thing I noticed is that Texas uh, was running enough just to make that happen. And then yours is yours. And he was going to throw and he was going to complete passes on you. The Alabama defense was on the field a while. And it really showed in the fourth quarter. And also, when Texas started getting their momentum, as far as an offensive possession would go, they'd start going tempo, too. And that, that'll that right. really gas a defense when you're already a little leg, leg weary. And then in comes a team that's going to not let you allow to substitute. Yeah, I, I put that on Sark. Um, very, very well called game. 
uh, and the longer the shorter it is, uh, as I look at it, Texas played like I thought Alabama would. You know, uh, Matt, I, I guess what kind of bothers me, we heard about our edge rushers. That's all we heard, edge rushers. You know, we got five that are fantastic. We got, you know, five five-star edge rushers. And that they didn't show me much at all. Um, they didn't show me anything, quite frankly. But I did like, I, I felt like the first quarter, our physicality was very good. And the way we hit them hard and the way we covered was good. I thought, well, you know, the defense was back. But then after that first quarter, you know, it was like a, a like water going through a screen porch, a screen door. It was just not there. And, um, you know, <laughs> after it was over, I was really um, upset. Because I'm a big Alabama fan. I've been following Alabama since 1961. But what I dreaded more than anything was all this Nick Saban's lost it. Who's going to take his place? Have we got anybody groomed? I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, you lose one game, and like I said, we can still get where we want to go. And we'll see what kind of coaching we have this week and next week. Well, here's a question as we go to break here, George. Who would you rather have going into week three of any of the college football coaches in the nation? I'm a Nick Saban person. Uh, I like the way that he describes things. I like the way that he coaches. I want Nick Saban. He knows what needs to be done, and he doesn't need people like me telling him what to do. I guarantee it. it's fun to talk about, though. Hey, George. That it is. That it is. Thank you, sir. (laughs) We can all be coaches. Oh, um, we're all undefeated. All right. Uh, thank you, George, for your call. We can take more on the other side of the break at 205-342-9904 as Big Noon Sports continues. If you're a home- Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Auburn traveled to California and managed to get out of there literally with a 14 to 10 win. But, uh, we can talk about that a little bit, but I, I want to talk quickly about what that meant to Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if you saw this post, this tweet, this whatever, this Z, this X, whatever it is. 
But Aaron Rodgers made a bet with C.J. Uzama. Uzama? Is that it? He's Uzama. Yeah, he, yeah, Auburn. Auburn kid. In. Auburn kid, too. Uh, yeah. And uh, Rodgers, of course, is a Cal guy. So they made a bet that um, the loser had to put on the other team's gear or wear. In this case, it was just a big, nice-looking Auburn long sleeve T-shirt. But um, And there's a picture because uh, – Cal lost. Aaron Rodgers lost the bet. And there's Aaron Rodgers with this huge grin on his face. Somebody or he took a selfie or whatever with this huge Auburn logo on his chest, just smiling away. It, that's cool. I, I love that. It, it gives us a little sideline banter here on Big Noon Sports. But I, after enjoying it and getting a little chuckle out of it, I went, where was that guy in Green Bay? Yeah. <laughs> He looks hey, he like he's having, yeah. He looks like yeah. he's having the time of his life. Gonna watch and, him tonight. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, the Jets are gonna be really good this year. I mean, well, they're, they're playing they're, a really good team too. Yeah, it's gonna be a great game uh, with Buffalo. Um, but uh, you know, given the fact that the Giants just got slapped by Dallas, forty uh, to nothing. Forty to nothing. Yeah. Um, Aaron Rodgers has a chance to really uh, seize control of the entire town uh, tonight. And I I think he will. I I like the Jets in this game. But um, I I just want to go around the country here and uh, and, and look at a a few uh, college football uh, games from this last weekend. And number one is, is Colorado and Nebraska. Um, the May Buffaloes. I'm here for just a second. Yeah, I was really concerned about you over the weekend. Ah, you should have. Uh, yeah, I mean, and Nebraska gets thumped. Uh, and the, my Joe Bengals, Burrow my Bengals got thumped. I mean, Burrow had to. He had Alabama to got whipped. So yeah, I, I was, was going to get get a wellness check on you over there. Yeah, you should have. You, you should have. Um, it was, it was really like a nightmare weekend. <laughs> But uh, in terms of uh, college football but or, and pro football. But you know what was great is uh, my son Lincoln, um, Matt, I, I'll just, you know, like every father about their kids, like they're so just happy when they succeed. First play of his football game on Saturday morning, boom, 80-yard touchdown run, Lincoln. Third play of the game, Lincoln, pick six. <laughs> Because wow. him, they're up fourteen nothing after three plays, and uh, I think he ended up. They ended up winning thirty-two to zero, and he ended up. And he's eight, he's eight. Uh, ended up winning, or uh, of the thirty-two points, I think he scored like twenty. I don't know. I think he scored four, like twenty-four of them. Twenty-four of them. But anyway, uh, and so you that had a that great that, weekend. That made my weekend absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But Colorado. Okay, so they beat Nebraska 36-14. It's Deion Sanders' home debut. His son is the quarterback, Shadur Sanders. And after the game, he goes on this rant, uh, the, the quarterback, Shadur Sanders, on Matt Rule, the Nebraska head coach. Just saying he disrespected our team, disrespected my dad, disrespected everything because he claimed that Nebraska um, uh, was they, they stood on the, uh, the Colorado logo at midfield prior to kickoff. Well, 
And it was just, it, it's utter nonsense. I swear to God, we, we live in a post-fact age. Facts don't matter anymore. He just completely made this crap up. Completely made it up. Complete fabrication, fabrication, fiction, whatever. Like, I don't know why you just can't, you, you won the game. Just be, uh, there, be dignified. But instead, he claims that Matt Rule disrespected Nebraska, or disrespected Colorado, excuse me, before a kickoff because the team gathered on uh, at midfield on the logo. Well, guess what? Nebraska does that before every game. They gather at midfield and they pray for blessings. They pray for safety, right? And Matt Rule even asked Shadur to come, come and pray with us if you want to. Um, you know, he said, he said I, I'm a man of faith and we, we pray, but it, it's non-denominational. There's, there's Muslim guys to do it. There's, a, you know, non, there's a, a, you know, agnostic people who do it. And it's just taking a moment as a team to pray for safety for everybody, for themselves and for Colorado. And he literally sought Shadur out before the game and asked him if he wanted to join and then he comes out and, and just absolutely lies. Absolutely lies. Because you know Colorado why? Colorado has this, uh, nobody disrespects us, you know, or nobody respects us. Nobody respects us. You know, it, it starts with his dad. Yeah. Exactly he just, and his dad just, his dad just, his dad freaking lies all the time about, oh, nobody believed we could do this, blah, blah, blah. Like, no. Nobody said that. Those, those people who understand what you did as a player and as a as a coach at, uh, last year, like everybody thought you could turn this thing around. Heck, he might even be the next head coach at Alabama. Who knows? Nah, it's not happening. Um, <laughs> you know, no. I'm gonna start calling Deion Sanders Helen Reddy. You remember that mm -hmm. uh, that song she did? Me and me against the world. Um. God, can't even believe I'm remembering this. But he has used that mantra to get yeah. his team fired up, and I understand it to a certain extent. But now it's taken on a life of its own. And if Dion's the kind of guy that's a face mask grabbing, you better protect, you better do this, he's that kind of coach, then he needs to nip this you-know-what in the bud right now because he has let it go over the top. And when it leads to a player just simply making stuff up. He needs to point his son out like he's pointed out so many other players and so many other coaches in the past. Dion needs to own up and yeah. kind of, he needs to nip, as Barney would say, he needs to nip it, nip it in the bud. The, the sports, they, they, they show no sportsmanship. Like, okay, in Colorado, I think this was uh, what Dion Sanders wanted. They, Nebraska was ordered to run straight off the field. Right, Nebraska just got their butts kicked, and they were ordered to run straight off the field because the students were coming. Like it was gonna, right. it was gonna, it was gonna be a, a freaking, uh, you know, it could it could have been like a difficult scene getting off because of uh, you know it, it could have just been a bad scene. And why Colorado? Why there weren't police officers around? But anyway, but Matt Rule said no, we're not running straight off the field. I'm gonna go and shake their hand because they beat us and I am going to um, uh, show sportsmanship and I wanna shake their hand. And he said, I don't care if I get beaten up by a mob, 
I'm shaking Coach Sanders' hand. And, you know, they're just trying to do things the right way. And, and, and Deion Sanders, uh, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. I know they're, they're going to be good. They are good. And he probably has revolutionized uh, how teams are built by the transfer portal and 70-some players that he went and got in the transfer portal. But, uh, you know, it, they're, just, they're not doing it the right way. They're not doing it the right way, in my opinion, in my opinion. And, and I agree with you. Um, I also think that I am impressed by his ability to get 70 new players all together, all on one page, and win two pretty impressive games. But nip that other stuff in the butt. You're listening to Big Gun Sports with Justin Jones, Matt Coulter, and Lars Anderson. When we get back, I got a phone call early this morning that just, man, it made my day and broke my heart. If you're listening to Big Noon Sports, I'll tell you about it in just a couple of minutes. Weekday mornings at 6 a.m., the Martin Houston Show. DC Capstone Report joins us tomorrow as we continue to break down the mishap of Texas versus Alabama. We'll get the goods about the ugly history takeaways and more. We'll also turn our attention to Alabama versus South Florida. What can Alabama do to rebound and get back on the winning track? We'll have that conversation and more. Martin Houston Show. Catch the Martin Houston Show from 6 to 7 weekday mornings on Tide 100.9. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the home two suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. The sky partially sunny this afternoon. Tuscaloosa's high close to 90. For tonight, mostly fair with a low at 69. For tomorrow, partially sunny. The chance of a few isolated showers by afternoon. The high at 89 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 91 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Thanks for joining us, y'all. Appreciate it very much. And also, always a tip of the helmet to Justin Jones for what he does at our flagship station, Tide 100.9, Lars and Matt. I received a phone call about 8 o'clock this morning. I looked down. And it read out the name, you know, as it always does. And it said Pete DeLorem. Pete DeLorem is a New York City firefighter that was engaged in 9-11. And he's been a special friend. My friend uh, Billy Wallace, who now who lived in Birmingham and now back in New York. But he introduced me to Pete via the phone. And it took me th- three days to get him on the air. You know why? Because he was in the midst and this is an amazing story I'm going to share with you about a guy who's commonly known in that area as Frenchie. That's the last name, Pete DeLorme. But I was at his house a year and a half later. And um, nice, nice home right there in Brooklyn and looking out over the water. And he walked me down where he was when it happened. 
He was on vacation. He was walking his two beautiful labs when he saw the plane, the first plane, hit the tower. He immediately went back to his home, dropped the dogs off, and drove down there. This guy was on vacation. We all know the bravery of the New York City firefighters and police and first responders. But he drove into it. He drove into it. And he said he didn't sleep for 48 hours. And every time I see him, talk to him, I well up with a sense of pride that America no longer has, in my opinion. And I'm not going to get political on this. But Pete is a part of uh, a group in New York called Tunnel to Towers. It still supports those in need from um, you know a health standpoint to paying their mortgage to helping their kids with school. But it's Tunnel to Towers. If anybody's interested in going online, making a donation, I think online technically it's T2, the numeral. T to two, and um, he took me down to Ground Zero about a year and a couple of months later. It's the first time he had been down there. He never went back after 9/11, but uh, his wife urged him. He needed to go down there, and he took John Gentile and I. And it was one of the more emotional moments I've ever had in my life when he took me literally to Ground Zero. So. This show and all those moving forward is to Pete DeLorem and, and those who so valiantly fought for our freedom on that day. Yeah, I haven't been back to that area of the city since that day. Um, my college roommate, uh, my, my <clears throat> dearest friends, we went out on September 10th and uh, of course, it wasn't an early evening, Matt, you know me. And um, he ended up uh, oversleeping and he worked on the 98th floor of World Trade Two, and he ended up losing, I think, 68 colleagues. And um, he left New York, you know, as soon as the airports were open again. And I think it was... Uh, it maybe been a week or so, but he he just he left, like his apartment was. He had he left everything in his apartment, and he just got out of New York, and he hasn't been back. I went and packed up his apartment for him. You know, it's for those who were there and who saw it and lived through it. Um, my my sister in law at the time was nearly. She was working in the American Express building on the other side of the West Side Highway, which is right across the street, which is right across the street from World Trade One. And uh, she was nearly hit by a jumper. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, there's just so many things I saw that I wish I didn't. And I, uh, it's, it's weird, it's like the, the the, the trauma of that day, for some reason, it's uh, it's it's almost like more intense now than it was, you know, uh, a year after um, this. The the post traumatic issues that, that people are still going through, myself included, um, just bad. You know, a, a couple. I lost you know, several friends who were in the towers. Um, um, former uh, associate 
photo director at Sports Illustrated had just gotten a new job in one of the towers and uh, his name is Ward uh, he didn't make it out um, and just you know every it seemed at the time if you weren't it's like everybody it felt like everybody in New York knew somebody who died and it, it just uh you know, New York has been through so much, and it's my favorite city in the world. I, I really thought I was going to live there the rest of my life on um, 89th and Central Park West. I, I just love the Upper West Side, and and you know, but that that it was just such a horrible day in American history, and you know, it's it sort of our generation's Pearl Harbor. Um, and it just, uh, you know, the images again, like I've, I've seen all these business people. Well, one, I was frantically trying to get to my sister-in-law and cell service wasn't working. Um, I, I, I feared that, she, that, that she didn't make it out. Um, I met her, I think down on like 14th street and I lived all the way up on 89th, so I, I basically like ran down there trying to get to her. Um, just, you know, and, and seeing all the business people walking and covered in soot and dust. I mean, literally everything is completely covered in gray, right? Um, seeing them walking north uh, from lower Manhattan because there was no, ta there, you know, there was no transportation. Everything was shut down. There's F4s just flying over the top, like literally tanks have rolled into the city. Uh, everything's on lockdown. And but so all these business people were just walking north because they, they lived up in, you know, Connecticut or, or Westchester County. And just the expressions of uh, terror on, on their faces and the shock and it just uh, sort of unimaginable of just everything. And I still just, I really, uh, I probably should just keep my mouth shut, but I, I just, I, I, I struggle processing it to this day. I think a lot of us do. Uh, not nearly as close, but I think we were all close in heart, love, and prayer. So anyway, uh, remember 9-11. And by the way, uh, remember a, a way to continue to donate and, and help those that were so heavily involved in Tunnel to Towers uh, T2T online. Uh, I took me two seconds to dial it up, and I'm not computer savvy. So if I can just tell you about it, then you can find it. Um, Lars, as we wrap up the show, um, God, I don't want to end on a down note with Mel yeah. Tucker, but good grief. Oh, uh, my goodness. That's just a, another one. If, if you haven't read about it over the weekend, he has been suspended as the head coach of Michigan State for... Um, harassment um, with a guest, a female guest that was supposed to speak to the team and maybe did speak, to, but he was just uh, calling her. Um, one of the things I think he asked her is, uh, if I weren't married, would you date me? And then he does, did uh, allegedly some unspeakable thing. I'm not going to end on that note, but uh, man, that guy got his $90 million contract and immediately got on the downhill bus. Good grief. His teams yeah. hadn't played well, and he certainly is uh, 
Man, he, he is under great suspicion now, too. Yeah, and, and the, the misconduct that has been going on at Michigan State uh, is just uh, unbelievable uh, by, by leaders there. I mean, Michigan State, they've, they've, they've concealed things before, Name, namely the, uh, all the accusations against uh, uh, athletic trainer Larry Nasser. Um, and it's Horrible. like, you know, the, the, and the fact that this happened, the complaint was filed, I believe, in uh, December of 2022. So Michigan State has known about this. And, you know, I, I get that Tucker supporters are going to say innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. But this isn't a court of law. This is uh, this is the university and the university judiciary, and the standard of proof is not beyond a reasonable doubt, but preponderance of evidence. And that means that Tucker he'll be found responsible if the evidence suggests that it's more likely true than not that he did what is alleged. And I, I just can't believe it's taken them this long, you know, to uh, to get there. Uh, because it, you know, in, 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 uh, in, I mean, Tucker, he has said that, um, you know, uh, this person has, has distorted what was a mutually consensual, intimate relationship, but, uh, and he, but he admitted, I'm not proud of my judgment. I'm, I'm having difficulty forgiving myself, but forgiving myself for getting into this situation, but I did not engage in misconduct by any definition. But I don't. Well, he's, like he's, he's, he's not. He's not somebody you want leading young men. It sounded like he. Uh, but yeah, no. I mean, just when this when this all was revealed, sounded like he's speaking out both sides of his mouth. He admitted yeah. some bad. But but, but like you know, it's, so here here are the questions. Like, okay, how in the world did Michigan State allow him to keep coaching? When did they know, uh, you know, when did they know and when, uh, when did they know it? Like, you know, when, when did they really understand sort of the gravity of everything? I just, I just can't believe they let him coach uh, for as long as they have. Somebody but, found out and was going to go public with it. Next absolutely. Time. Absolutely. Yeah, this is this is a this is a CYA move all the way. Yeah, don't you think they knew it would get public? Why not get out in front of it initially? Be held accountable. I, I think in the court of public opinion, you're going to be viewed a little bit better if you do that as opposed to hurriedly after two games into the football season. And like you said, this is not Michigan State's first misstep. And misstep is not even close to describing yeah. what they've done in the past. But um, anyway, uh, Lars, you got a joke or a flower? Is somebody in your front yard tearing it up? Can you can you leave us on a on a happy note? Why didn't six like seven? Because seven, eight, nine. Boom. It's a winning dad joke. Why? Why is that so funny? All right. Really good show. Thank you to Justin Jones. Appreciate Carrie joining us as well. And we will be back. Why don't we do this all over again? Don't forget that Lars and I produce a podcast. In fact, we're going to do it here in just a minute. Under the tutelage of James Spann. It's called Matt and Lars. 
and you can go to it on twister.fm. I want to do that later this afternoon. Thank you, folks. Back in 22.